Welcome to the 26th, the official podcast of the Mecklenburg County Bar. As an MCB member, we know you deserve every possible benefit for your dollar. Our focus is to provide exclusive insight and resources ranging from business development to member spotlights and everything in between. You serve the public. Now let us serve you right here on the 26th. Welcome back to another episode of the 26 and MCB podcast. I'm here with MCB president Fred DeVore and CLE committee chair Kevin Pratt. Fred, Kevin, how are you? Thanks, Greg. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. I am doing very well. So we had some big news since the last time we had the podcast come out um, on February 28th. We sent out a bar blast announcing that the MCB will host a vote on bifurcation at the annual meeting in May. Uh, that's Thursday, May 26th. Yeah, a lot of people have had a lot of questions about uh, why we're bifurcating and what's involved with that. And so I thought it might be helpful to spend a few minutes talking about it. In the um, This is our 110th year that the Mecklenburg County Bars existed. 1912 is when it was first created. And I, in my opinion, at least, this may be one of the most important votes uh, in terms of the direction of the bars headed that we may have ever had. So people have questions about what is an integrated bar or what is a uh, bifurcated bar. And I thought it might be helpful to spend a little bit of time talking about it. First of all, as a member of the North Carolina State Bar, you're required to be a member of the judicial district bars. And as you know, we're the, we're the 26. There are 45 altogether. And, and there are some statutory requirements for each of the districts and for each of the bars within that district. And those, we perform duties such as electing state bar counselors, electing, ele- electing district court vacancy nominees, um, public defender nominees. And so there are a number of things that we have to do by statute. And so for years, we have been what's called an integrated bar, which we handle both uh, the mandatory dues of, or the mandatory duties rather, of the uh, local district, as well as uh, providing services such as CLE and lawyer referral service, that type of thing. But we're only one of two counties or two districts in the entire state that have an integrated bar, the other being Buncombe County. And the state bar has asked us for a number of years to consider bifurcating, and there are a number of reasons for that. One reason is that with a bifurcated bar, we're able to provide additional services that we may not ordinarily be able to provide as a mandatory bar. Uh, those would include uh, Kevin's like CLE offers, which we do now, but we'll be able to expand that, we think. Um, and it also allows us to uh, address some of the concerns that have been raised across the country about various bars that have mandatory dues. It's a, there's a, s- a series of litigation matters, both in the past and currently present in Texas and Utah and Oregon and Wisconsin and uh, California, for example, in which the issue has come up from a constitutional standpoint as to whether or not or what do what mandatory bars can do with dues. So, for example, if a if a bar wanted to put a monument in time in the middle of the town square, and they used dues to do that, and some of the folks oppose that, then that raises the question of whether it's constitutional, given the right of assembly and right of free speech, to be able to use those mandatory dues for those kind of purposes. With a voluntary bar, we'll have more freedom to be able to use uh, dues on a, on a voluntary basis for lots of programs that we can't otherwise do with the mandatory bar. It, it's going to have a couple of really positive impacts right out of the, 
uh, right out of the chute. One of those is that it will substantially reduce, we think, the uh, mandatory dues that are required that each of us have to pay. And then secondly, in terms of the voluntary uh, bar, we hope to be able to do that in some sort of tiered system based upon, for example, if you were uh, worked for the government or uh, public services in some sort or maybe a solo practitioner, uh, maybe an older lawyer, like maybe, maybe we get a senior discount, I'm not sure, but in any event, we're going to have some sort of tiered um, uh, structure in terms of these fees that are there. And um, this is going to allow us to continue programs like CLE and our mentoring programs and sections, sports events, BLI, lawyer referral, um, young lawyers, all those I think we're going to be able to, to fit into this bifurcated system. And so we're very excited about the idea. Of course, it's, it'll be up to the members to vote. As you mentioned, it'll be the annual conference. And um, we think this has been a direction the bar has been leaning towards for a long time. A lot of folks that uh, uh, were ahead of me in terms of leadership for the bar have pushed for this. And so we're, we're very excited. We think that probably it will, if it, if it passes, that uh, we will uh, begin the process in earnest in the next fiscal year to begin the bifurcation process. We'll probably get a cross-section of lawyers that help us develop bylaws and direction for the voluntary bar. A number of counties uh, in North Carolina already have a system like this. Wake County is one of them, and that's a very successful bar. And so we may hope to follow perhaps the model that they have, uh, they have set for us. Um, I know so far since sending out the email, the and I mentioned this early, the attendance looks like it should be pretty full for the annual meeting. And you can attend that online or you can attend in person. And I believe that's going to be at uh, Halton Theater at uh, Central Piedmont Community College. I think that's right. I think it's attention to what we're going to do. And we'll be able to do, I think, some online voting uh, and polling to make sure that we are uh, have giving everyone a chance to express their opinion about this new direction we think the bar may be headed. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to Fred or Leah Campbell or Shannon Reed on staff. Yeah, one thing I'd fail to mention is one of the conditions, I guess, of going to the bifurcated bar is that we need to um, make sure the building is uh, sold first. So that's sort of the, the first stepping stone for us. The building is still being actively marketed. Uh, and then once that's sold, uh, those funds will then go to the foundation. People have a lot of questions about what is the Bar Foundation and how is that different than the Bar? The Foundation, of course, is a 501c3 charity, and those funds will be used to continue their grant program and so on. So the fact that we're going to bifurcate the mandatory bar into or the integrated bar into a bifurcated bar, that, that won't impact uh, the Foundation. They'll continue their good work uh, with the proceeds that come from the, from the uh, sale of the building. And we, the Bar has approved a division of the capital assets of the and the reserves that the local bar has, and that has already been approved. And so if we get the vote from the membership, uh, we'll be able to hit the ground running, I think. Yeah, and if you have any other questions, um, if you have any other thoughts, you can always head to mechbar.org slash bifurcation. Uh, there's a frequently asked questions page. There's also the formal announcement that went out on February 28th, and there is a chart that shows the proposed division of the mandatory bar, the voluntary bar, and the Mecklenburg Bar Foundation. Anything, any other thoughts on, on bifurcation? No, I just, uh, I'm glad you made a plug for the uh, FAQs that um, 
the bar has put together. I think they really answer a lot of the questions about bifurcation, what it is, what a mandatory bar does, and what it can't do. And so I would, again, just like you just said, I would encourage everyone to take a look at the website and, and read through those um, those questions and answers that the bar's prepared. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned with bifurcating that we'll be able to expand upon and has some pretty much in a very exciting future is continuing legal education, which brings me to Kevin, who's chair of our CLE committee. And I think you have some kind of interesting stuff you'd like to share with us. Sure. <laughs> to the extent that education is interesting, <laughs> I, uh, um, I have had the privilege of serving on this committee for, I don't know, four or five, maybe six years. And uh, I think one of the things that's uh, perhaps most unique about this committee is the the different people that we touch. Like we have judges that serve on our committee, mm-hmm. solo small firm lawyers that serve on our committee. We have large firm lawyers that serve on our committee. So we really have like a healthy perspective. And <clears throat> all of that is relevant because our perspectives have collectively changed in a post-COVID COVID world, and uh, the delivery of CLEs has changed. Um, pricing for CLA CLEs has changed. Expectations for where you get them has changed. And so I think what we have learned, and this uh, carries forward from my predecessor, uh, Chris Basil, is that there has been this wonderful appetite for the virtual delivery of CLEs. And, and I think that one of the things that we've been really intentional about this year is trying to understand which, because there are some bread and butter CLEs that the bar has um, put on with great success and that are always well received by the respective sections, whether they're bankruptcy practitioners or the all-star trial ad CLE, which Fred has presented at. <clears throat> All of these respected areas like have typically been in person. Yep. And there's this uh, wonderful networking opportunity um, associated with uh, certain programs. Obviously, we haven't been able to uh, realize that networking benefit uh, of late, but we understand that there is a networking component to education, and there's an education component. Right. And and so we're really trying to be mindful of, as we kind of enter into this next season, as we would call it, how can we try to meet both of those objectives? Right. Understanding that we have have had a lot of success kind of pivoting to a fully virtual um, model. Yeah, I, I, I think one thing that we have heard feedback-wise is not just from a CLE perspective, but from a committee and I would assume section perspective as well is uh, the availability for being able to attend virtually. I know in the beginning of COVID, Zoom was kind of a fun, felt almost kind of a gimmick type of a thing to be able to still connect. And then Zoom fatigue kind of fell in. And then now it's kind of been looked at as just another tool in whatever it is you're trying to use, whether it's CLE or committee meeting or work. So I think one thing we're trying to balance, and we're seeing it now that we're actually offering a few more kind of hybrid events and also in-person events, is that we are getting more requests for some in-person CLEs as well for that networking component that you mentioned. And I I think we actually do, Fred, I think you have a a CLE that's included with member dues that's coming up and I believe it is in person. In May, yes. We're going to to teach a course or two on using Keynote, which is the uh, Apple version basically of PowerPoint with uh, Windows. I've become a nerd at this for the last uh, several years and enjoy using it. And uh, it's a really powerful program and I look forward to um, 
sharing some of the ideas about how to use PowerPoint to your advantage in presentations and trial work and mediations and so on. So I'm, I'm excited about doing that. If you have not seen Fred's PowerPoint presentations, they're <laughs> fantastic. They really are. Another CLE I think that we have coming up that is going to be in person is at the, I think it's at the Whitewater National Center, and it's going to be the bankruptcy seminar also in May. And from my understanding, a lot of people are excited just to see people in person again. A common theme I've heard is they miss those kind of side conversations. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I One of the things that virtual has done is we've had a pro, proliferation of programs. We're able mm-hmm. to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, it's harder to keep track of all of them. Right. Like the Whitewater Center, for example, you mentioned that and it's now refreshing a recollection, but it wasn't immediately <laughs> yeah. uh, on my mind. Uh, I will say, though, like in, in that particular instance, like this appetite for in-person and kind of these sidebar conversations, I think it speaks to something that you mentioned earlier and that it that is the the novelty of Zoom has worn off. Right. I think in some ways, Zoom, we've kind of jumped the shark in some respects in the sense that now every phone call seems to need to be a Zoom yeah. uh, call, which yes. is like what, what happened to the phone. Um, so I think it, in some ways, there's going to be some novelty associated with being in person again. Right. And and so um, the pendulum kind of as it keeps swinging. Right. Uh, but I do think that even an instance like this where we're able to be together in person and having a podcast, there is something that feels different. The energy is different. So I, yeah. I think it's, it's coming. We're just kind of going to have to kind of thread the needle on what, uh, what we feel like is the best use of resources. I, I think it, it is still kind of that, that zoom fatigue a, a bit for me. I'm not sure about yourselves, but one nice thing about having more virtual programs is the ability for more volunteers to teach a CLE. You know, we have our regular CLE presenters, but I have seen over the last couple of years more volunteers that I had not seen before volunteer to do a CLE. So if anyone is interested to teach a CLE, you don't have to come and do it in person now. Um, this is something that can be set up over the phone and you can easily teach from you know the comfort of your own office. And we're always looking for more presenters. Kevin, Kevin I want to make sure that you continue to offer the annual uh, review where you get all your hours at one time. It's my, been my lifeboat more than once as I get towards the end of the year, realizing that I don't have my mandatory CLE. So whatever happens, that needs to be a staple in our CLE offerings with the bar, in my opinion. I forget her name, but she is a predecessor of mine. She was a past chair, perhaps a family law attorney at was formerly known as Horak Tally. She came up with that. I don't think it's going anywhere because it is a wonderful success. It's one of our most popular ones year over year. It's my lifeboat. No question about that. Can't leave it hanging that the plug that you made for folks to engage with the committee. Right. Um, you don't have to serve on the committee to hold any power. We Our main goal as the committee is just to reach more people. We try to do that the way that we have our meetings, and we certainly try to do that with the way that we engage and solicit people to teach content. Right. And uh, I think everyone has a unique perspective, a unique skill, expertise that someone else doesn't have. No one has the market cornered on on knowledge. And so we just we really want to hear from everyone and, and, and have them in front of our members because that, that's a huge part of uh, what we're trying to do. 
and you two can correct me if I'm wrong. Y'all are both attorneys, so you would know this better than I do. But if I'm not mistaken, there is a little bit of a CLE incentive in terms of earning CLE credit if you teach a class. Is that correct? That's right. You get, uh, I can't remember, Kevin, you may know better than I do, but you do get some bonus hours for preparing and, and uh, presenting at the CLE. No question about that. Yeah, a little bit more of an incentive for yourself as well as just the knowing that you did a job well done of teaching someone else. So. Well, Kevin, and I don't know whether you knew this or not, but Greg, before we leave the CLE, I think we need to make sure everyone knows or is aware that you're going to be leaving us here at the Mecklenburg County Bar to take a take go in a different direction with your career. And I don't know what five people we're going to hire to replace <laughs> you, uh, but uh, you've done a great job for us, and uh, we we certainly owe you a lot of appreciation for the success in the marketing and social side of the Mecklenburg County Bar, which is so important to us. And so we certainly appreciate your service all these years and wish you the best of luck going forward. Well, thank you very much, Fred. I will uh, happily edit that part out. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed my time at the bar. Um, it's been almost eight years. It went by very, very quickly. It'll be strange moving on. So, Good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Good Thank you. Yeah, so thank you both again for sharing your your thoughts on bifurcation, CLE. If you have any questions on bifurcation, again, you can go to mechbar.org slash bifurcation. If you're interested in helping out with CLE, you can go to mechbar.org slash CLE. Um, You can find what we have coming up, including... CLE from Fred, that's included with your dues. We have the in-person CLE at the National White Water Center. And if you're interested in teaching, you can sign up there. Thanks again for listening to The 26 and MCB Podcast. I'd also like to thank LawPods for their continued support of The 26. LawPods takes the headache out of launching and producing a revenue-generating podcast. And you can learn more at LawPods.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of The 26th. Head to mechbar.org to hear more from this podcast, suggest future topics, and review member resources. 